Last week, we started a series called Living with Intimacy. Um, we talked about what that means. Intimacy means to, uh, to fully know and be fully known. Another way I like to put it is into me, you see, into me, you see. It's where your heart is made known. It's where you and somebody else's heart can connect. Um, it, yeah, it does not mean that. We'll spare you all from that this week. Um, but we were created for it. From the beginning of time, we talked about Genesis 2, God created us for community, for relationship, for intimacy, for this connection between our friends, our family, in dating relationships, in marriage, all that. We were, connect, we were created to connect. And when we run away with that, we experience problems. When we run away from this idea of intimacy, we experience problems. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, man, what are the, the issues that we run into when we avoid intimacy, when we feel like we don't, we, we shouldn't do it, or like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be that close with somebody, we shouldn't open our heart or be uh, genuine and real with somebody. Um, and this is huge for where you're at. You know, the way God designed you right now, you are a teenager. And part, the biggest part of your life right now, or one of the biggest ones, is your friendships. And if you can't learn how to be real with your friends, you're not going, you know, when it comes to marriage and when it comes to not having as many friends because you're an old adult and you just lose friends as you grow up because you figure out all adults are lame and you just don't want to hang out with each other anymore. I'm just kidding. That's not exactly how it works. But, but ask most adults, having more than two friends or at least one good friend in your life that you can actually be real, that's rare. A lot of adults, a lot of us, don't have close friends like we used to for multiple reasons. One of them, the biggest ones is marriage and family. As soon as you get married, you're not supposed to be friends with your friends anymore. Um, at least that's what it seems like sometimes. That's a joke. It's a joke. Part of it, you know, like for me, I don't have time now. Exactly. Um, for me, having a kid has really impacted a lot of things in my life. Like, I'm trying to learn how to do this youth pastor thing still with a kid in my life now who takes up so much of my time. Like, the pie auction, we were going to have that, like, last week or two weeks ago. But after D-Now, uh, I was like, there's just no way. We have to push it back. Um, spring break, all that. I was like, that's new to me. I'm not going to be able to get to it. And I feel bad throwing it on somebody last minute. So we pushed it back, um, which is a little bit better. Like, this week, Carissa got sick. So I missed a day and a half of work. When I have a lot of stuff that I, I really want to be working on. Um, but anyway, there's things that happen in your lives. You kind of grow apart from some friends. You know, after college and whatnot, many of your friends will move elsewhere. They'll get jobs in different... So anyway, what I'm trying to say is your friends matter. I think you know that. But learning to be real, to be intimate, to be open, to be vulnerable in your friendships is so important with where you're at right now. And we're going to talk a little bit today of why that is. If you're not, if you avoid it, if you don't like revealing or, or, or telling the truth about what you feel and what you think and, and where you stand on stuff, um, it's, it's going to come back to get you. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. That's the study that we're talking about is, is uh, this idea of living with intimacy in all of our relationships in life. Um, so first, sin you know, we, we talked in Genesis 2 about how God designed us for these relationships. Um, 
And then you get to Genesis 3 and you find out, oh, yay, we just messed it all up. You know, sin was this destructive gift given to us by our earliest uh, people, Adam and Eve. Um, and the result of this was just complete destruction, complete dismantling, complete just, man, chaos. chaos exactly. Um, through Adam and Eve, you know, even though they enjoyed perfect in- intimacy at one point, they were, they didn't, they it said that they were naked and unashamed, that there was no shame in their life. There was no embarrassment. There was no hurt. There was no, they enjoyed that for a short period. And then. Now we all have to deal with shame and hurt and fear and burdens and those kind of things. Um, and then after sin, for the first time in their life, they experienced loneliness. And they tried to fill that loneliness with the wrong things. With, and you just get story after story of disaster because we can't handle, we can't handle our relationships. You, know, you get this story about Cain and Abel, and Cain just gets mad because Abel did something better than him. And so what does Cain do? He went and complained to his parents. No, I guess that's not what happened. What did he do? He murdered. He just killed, he just killed Abel. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully y'all are not in that place where you're just going to kill each other. But. But we won't kill. Okay, there, there you go. All right, hey, grab grab your Bibles behind you, uh, next to you, something like that. Genesis three, open up to Genesis three. Well, Genesis one is next to you. Genesis three is in that Bible. You're confusing. Stop using my name. The first book of the Bible, chapter three. I said chapter three. Page two. Page two. Hey, Carson. It's in page 200. All right, so chapter three. Chapter three. And, and keep this. You're going to need this here in a second. But chapter three, starting in verse nine, it says, So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? You know, he's, God's looking for Adam. And Adam responds, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And so the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman's like, no, the the serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. It's those few verses that show what happens when we avoid, when we run from, when this idea of intimacy, being fully known and to fully know, is messed up in our lives. When we can't be real in our relationships, what happens? When sin entered the picture, intimacy left, which created four consequences. Um, that invaded Adam and Eve's lives, but they also invade our lives today. The first one, if you look at verse 10, was, oh, there we go. Verse 10, um, the first one is, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid. The first consequence that we deal with when we reject this idea of intimacy and when we sin, because we've all sinned, is this idea of fear. 
This idea of fear, you know, we're fearful of others seeing our flaws, our weaknesses, our genuine self, our insecurities, because we believe for some reason, if somebody knew the full me, if they knew the darkest parts of my heart, they would reject me. Insecurity, secret sins, uh, lack of confidence. It's the fear of being found out that we have struggles, that we have these things that we've lived with since the fall. And so what do we resort to? We resort to posing, pretending, faking, acting like something we are not. We feel fake in this world when, when we feel like this world is full of people who have it all together because sometimes we're just all faking it because we're afraid that we won't be loved if they know the real me. We fear that becoming real, genuine, fully known will lead people to look at us differently, to pull back from us in relation to, to run from us. We fear rejection. As soon as sin entered this world, fear became a reality in our lives. And the fear of rejection is one of the biggest ones because we desire relationship. We desire this idea of intimacy, real friendship, real relationship in our lives. We might try to deny it, but deep down we're wondering, do I have what it takes? What if I'm found out? What if they all leave me? Fear is the first consequence that plagues us when we avoid intimacy. Fear keeps us from being real. Well, he says, I was afraid because I was naked. This is the next one. Our fear originates from the shame of nakedness. And I'm not talking about lack of clothes here. I'm talking about our hearts being exposed. The deepest, darkest areas of our life being opened up and made known to somebody. I was afraid because, well, shame. This weakness and this imperfection in us leads us sometimes to this feeling of, like, that we just don't measure up, that we're inadequate, that, that we have shame. And we've talked about this word shame before. We did a series on emotions to help you just navigate some of the emotions in your life. You can always go back to the podcast and listen to those if you're interested. Um, But shame and guilt are two words that sound the same, not literally, because guilt and shame sound nothing alike. But the meaning, sometimes we get it confused. We think they're both the same thing, but they're not. See, guilt, guilt is um, this, as 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See, guilt is an emotion that God uses to lead us to correction, to lead us to repentance, to changing. And when we're led to that, it leads to rescue, to salvation without regret. That's what guilt is all about. It's this idea that I did something wrong. I did something wrong. That's guilt. I did something wrong. And the idea is that God wants to help us correct that or to receive forgiveness for that. The Holy Spirit, you know, he uses guilt to show us where we've messed up, what we need to confess, what we need to change, and to receive the forgiveness that's freely offered for it. He calls us out of darkness into light. God uses guilt. Sometimes guilt doesn't feel good, but it's the idea I did something wrong. An action I did was wrong. But God wants to call us out of this darkness into the light, into his love, into his forgiveness. 
as well into Christian community, into genuine relationship to support for these things that we sometimes get stuck in for the mistakes that we make. Um, 1 Peter 2.9 seems to be like a verse I've used a lot lately. I don't know if you've noticed how I've... I, in a lesson that we taught in Sunday school the other day, I used it. I've used it with the lesson I'm teaching um, at five o'clock on Sundays now. But it says this: "You are a chosen." It's talking about you as a Christian. If you have Jesus in your heart, that's you. You're a Christian. It says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, God's possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Guilt is all about that. Calling you out of the darkness into the light. Shame is different. Shame is this idea, what Scripture calls at the end of this verse that we just looked at, worldly grief, shame produces death. Shame is this idea that I, it's not that I have done something bad, it's shame is telling you that you are bad. It's trying to define who you are. It's trying to tell you that you are bad. The focus of shame isn't on behavior. It is on who we are at the core of our identity. Go for it. Um, wow. Um, like, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. The disciple that Jesus raised Jesus. Judas. Judas. In the Bible, didn't he say he felt shame instead of grief for the children's sake? I don't know. I'd have to look. It said he felt something, but I can't remember what it was. That's a good question, though. What did Judas feel after he betrayed Jesus? Did he, did he recognize that he did something wrong? Or did he allow shame to get a hold of his identity and it just destroyed his life in a major way? Uh, I have no clue. So that's a good question to, to explore, though. Um, but shame is this idea that we feel worthless, that, that we're unworthy of love and support. We believe God hates us and everything about us. Um, we're unable to change no matter how hard we try. We feel stuck. We're, 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 we, we lead towards isolation, removing ourselves from, from real, genuine relationship from God and community. Shame is the second con- consequence of avoiding intimacy. Shame attacks our identity. And so Adam was saying, look, God, I, I uh, was afraid. Because I was exposed, my, my sinful nature was exposed, and um, I hid. So I hid. What you got? Remorse. remorse. What is remorse? It's a very complicated word because it has more letters in it than the other two. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's that regretful, like... Uh, so that's a good point. Sometimes, you know, and we talked about this in our emotion series. So before we get to hiding, let's backtrack. Um, let's talk about guilt one more time. And we explained this a little bit in our emotion series. You have shame and guilt. Guilt is, is built to be a good thing. Shame is always a bad thing. But if we don't deal with guilt the way God intends, if we don't repent, if we don't come back to God, if we don't um, seek that forgiveness, Guilt can spiral into shame or into condemnation or into false guilt. However you want to say it, um, it can wreck your life. And that's kind of what happened to Judas is he didn't respond appropriately to the guilt in his life. He regretted it, 
but he didn't seek God for forgiveness and it wrecked his life. Um, and so you want to take care of these emotions. Again, if you haven't heard that study that we did on emotions, man, you can scroll through, you can look at the emotions you're dealing with and just click on that one. Um, anger, fear, um, hurt. Uh, we had happy ones too. I just don't remember what they were. Um, cause joy, I think, oh, no, I guess we focus more on the negative emotions cause those are harder. To, you know, you want happy emotions, but anyway. All right. So fear, shame, and then I hid, I hid. Fear and shame are what we experience as a result of losing intimacy and hiding is a common response to it, to these feelings. And we allow it to become a further block to real intimacy, to real connection with God and with others. We hide to protect ourselves from being exposed anymore uh, and harmed by others. And sometimes hiding becomes the only thing that we do, the only tool that we use to hold it all together. And sometimes we physically hide. I know when I'm feeling bad, I just like to remove myself from the world. I'm going to go stay in my bedroom and just cry and eat uh, ice cream. And Just kidding. I just like pie. That's all I eat. If I could, that would be all I eat. But If there's a pie underneath, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, anyway, but what, so, so sometimes when you're running away from your emotions, when you're running away from fear and shame, you'll physically hide, but more often than not, more often than that, we will hide by creating these elaborate fig leaves in our lives to cover up our shame and our, our negative emotions. We, we pretend we're perfect. We like to look good. We want our Instagram or TikTok or whatever account that you use to make it look like your life is going great when you're struggling so much with fear or shame or whatever else it may be. Or we put masks on. We wear forced smiles and we try to pretend that we're all happy and, and joyous in this friendship, but we're actually struggling with it. It is anything that serves to hide the real us from being fully known. It's an attempt to get others to think that we're in a better place than we actually are. And here's what happens. You know, the more a person is important to us, the more we, for some reason, the more we'll put up these walls to try to hide our true self because we're afraid that that person we really care about will reject us if they know the real us. And what it really does, stop it, Move, put your arm back. Okay. What happens is, is when we do that, when we hide our true selves and when we try to protect somebody else from, we end up pushing them further away. It might not be instant, but it happens. Over and over again, it happens. It's the opposite of intimacy, the opposite of friendship, the opposite of being fully known is when we tend to hide what's going on in our lives. Hiding is the third consequence of avoiding intimacy. Hiding keeps us further from restoring genuine relationships in our life. And so Adam said, look, I was afraid. I felt shame. I hid. And then he started playing a game that sometimes we're all too good at. He said, the woman you put with me, 
Whether he's blaming God or this woman, who knows? It doesn't matter. He is blaming somebody else. He's playing the blame game. See, when we're unsuccessful, dealing with our pain, dealing with our emotions, dealing with the fear and the shame, and hiding didn't work, we try to take the attention off of ourselves and put it on somebody. So I messed up. Sure, you kind of figured that out. But this person messed up more. They did this to me. They did this to you. And we hide behind a real uh, a mask of, of just shifting the focus to somebody else's weakness so that ours aren't seen as much. Like Adam and Eve, and like Eve with the serpent in verse 13, she blames the snake. Oh, well, it was, he, he made me do it. No, you just bought into the lie. The blame game becomes our attempt to recover, to get back into hiding, to avoid rejection of God and to others. That is another consequence of avoiding intimacy in our lives. And what it does is, once again, it actually pushes further people further away. So not only are you hiding your true self from those that you care about, which reje- pushes people away, you get to the point where you just attack them because you can't handle your own stuff, so you just attack them. So what about you? Think about it. Which of these four little areas, these four consequences, tend to be the one your go-to? For me, and, and again, just think about it. You don't, you don't need to answer out loud, but for me, I, man, I retreat. I hide. Whether it's because I'm afraid or I feel bad about myself, I hide. That's, that's me. What about you? Think about it. What what is your go-to which one of these is the things that sabotages your relationships that causes you to grow apart with the friends that you've made or the the dating relationship you've invested in or your family why are you always fighting is it because of one of these what which of these keeps you from fully knowing and being fully known by god fear shame hiding blaming See, the continuous effects of sin and the loss of intimacy, our feelings of fear and shame, and our attempts of, of hiding and blaming are just primary tools we resort to in an effort to escape the rejection that we're convinced is going to come if we're exposed. But here's the thing. We still have a deep desire for intimacy. That idea of knowing and being fully known that assures us that we're accepted for who we are, imperfections and all. Don't we want that? Just think about that. To be able to put ourselves out there and, and nobody reacts negatively. They just love you. They care for you. When we reject intimacy, that love, that care with God and with good Christian friends and with family, it doesn't go away. That desire doesn't go away. We just bury it. And it aches to come up and grow. And here's the thing. Burying this desire eventually contaminates every aspect of our lives. Signs of avoiding intimacy. This is where it gets real. Which one of these stick out to you that, that you identify with? Here's a sign that you are avoiding intimacy. You have trouble reaching out to begin new or deepen current relationships. You tend to be passive and you detach from others. Those two are definitely me. I just, I back up. I'm done. 
I withdraw. Other signs of avoiding intimacy. You often see yourself as the victim. You deny your feelings, positive and negative, or you just keep them to yourself. You turn to addictions or other behaviors to numb your feelings, whether that's social media or something else. You're reluctant to ask for help. You may maintain an unrealistic workload, like you just get busy and you just have to be busy because it distracts you from the lack of intimacy. You keep your thoughts and processes of thinking private. You don't share it. You expect others to pay you back when you do something for them. You base your self-esteem and worth on how well you can help or affect others. And if you can't help, I must not be good enough. You minimize or ignore other people's feelings. You avoid touch like hugs or you crave it excessively. Here's some more signs of avoiding intimacy. You struggle being honest with friends and family. You avoid conflict. You use anger to control others. You avoid direct communication with others. You refuse to take risks or try new things. You take yourself too seriously. You rarely laugh or find humor only in inappropriate circumstances. And there's so much more. When we avoid true, genuine relationship in our lives, it turns to these things that really just eat us up. That can take over our lives. Earlier this week, um, there was a uh, the Academy Awards took place. One, took place one of the biggest uh, award ceremonies things for actors and actresses. If you're like me, you've never watched a single one. You've never seen a single award show until this week, because this week the comedian uh, what's his name Chris Rock he made a bad joke. Will Smith responded by going up and slapping him. And the world has pronounced their judgment on the situation. They, they're either, uh, you know, good job for doing that, or how dare you, uh, you, you know, we, we, you're, you're judged, you're, you're done. Some consider it to be uh, uh, something really rash. Others are like, man, you did the exact right thing. Oh, he didn't say anything. He just... Oh, he made a joke about Will Smith's wife. And so, hold on. And so, Will Smith responded with a violence. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's focus. You can make your own judgment about it. I don't really care. I was talking to some of the guys I was hanging out with um, earlier, and we're like, we're just kind of sick of it at this point. That was days ago. But... All of a sudden, everybody is watching this. Everybody's giving their opinion on it. Everybody is making their declaration on if it was right or wrong. Some people are like, yes, you are a great example of what it means to stick up for your family. Other people are like, you just promoted violence and abuse, and you just said that was okay. That's not the thing that matters. You know, what took place is an example of not knowing how to deal with big emotions, with the consequences of avoiding intimacy. But here's the thing. Most of the world has already made their decision on what they thought about it. But as soon as you call yourself a Christian, as soon as you have Jesus in your life, you've already surrendered your opinions to somebody else. What does Jesus think about it? Our response should have something to do with how Jesus says we ought to respond. You know, back to this passage in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. You've surrendered your right to life to Jesus. 
If you call yourself a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, if you've surrendered to Him, you're His. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, the reason we give it all to him is because he can handle our baggage. He's rescued us from darkness. He's rescued us from death and evil and sin and all that stuff. And he says, look, those relationships that you're struggling with, those consequences of sin and intimacy, I can help you with that. In fact, I've perfected it and I can help you perfect it too. And so when we encounter these things in this world where people are doing crazy things, our opinions and our uh, judgments belong to Jesus. I want to show you a clip. Um, And Stormy, I might need help because it wasn't working earlier. But I want to show you a clip of The Chosen, season two. We're going to be watching The Chosen with us this summer. Um, But... uh, We'll also watch season one if you haven't seen it, like in May or something on Sunday nights and stuff like that. Um, But I want to show you this clip. Um, It's about Jesus and a couple of the disciples. You know, there's a small passage in Mark that says, hey, James and John, known as the sons of thunder, and that's it. You don't really have an explanation of why that is, why that's their nickname, but it is, and I love the way The Chosen has kind of created a story, a lesson for us all to learn from by giving that Sons of Thunder some background. And plus, it just helps us understand a little bit more about First Peter 2.9. Um, so we're going to try to get this to work. Um, You might. Hey, oh, where are you going to tell Jesus our plan? The group said to leave it alone. They also said he gets to make his own decisions. So, let's let him. Why do you think he picked us to plant those fields? I'm starting to wonder about that. If I had known it was a Samaritan field, Jesus will sort it out. Rabbi, ah, you couldn't wait, could you? Yeah, sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? 
These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire, to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. <laughs> you too. You're like a storm on the sea. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Today, it was not good. But strong passion can be a good thing when channeled for righteousness. I just may have to delay giving you that authority we discussed earlier or in smaller doses until you two calm down a bit. <laughs> there's something there's something about Jesus just laying into his, his disciples that just gets a little bit of fire going in you. There, there's something about when, when he calls out that darkness in our lives, yet we still feel loved. Man, there's something about Jesus that changes everything. You know, if you didn't catch it, James and John are the two guys Jesus is hanging out with. Jesus is the long-haired, bearded guy, always. Um, but the, the issue was that James and John accidentally helped a Samaritan earlier. They're Jewish, and then a Samaritan. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of other Samaritans come by, and they start picking on them, throwing stuff, spitting on them. Well, of course, the first reaction is to get pay back to you know this is as bad as as the the government the the democrats republic like the hatred is there the racism is there and when we refuse to offer or or to accept god's offer of intimate relationships he allows us to attempt to fill it with what we think is going to fit that god shaped hole in our lives Jeremiah reminds us of, of uh, a passage here, or reminds us of the choice we make when we choose not to follow Jesus' way. It says in Jeremiah, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
It's uh, like a, a, a little well, a little pot. You, you've, yeah, you've, you've created your own avenue of life for what you think is going to bring you life. Whether it is anything that we've mentioned so far or something like an addiction to our phones or to social media or celebrities or overeating, oversleeping or uncontrolled anger, bitterness at friends, gossip or overly busy or overly lazy or hiding our emotions or just throwing them at everyone. When we reject God's offer into intimacy, into just true relationship, into doing things God's way, his way. He allows us to learn it the hard way. When we start trying to fill these areas and and take things into our own hands. There are many different broken cisterns, as many as there are fallen people. Anything that is an attempt to get our intimacy needs through some other method and some other means is a broken cistern. And if such behaviors are masking real intimacy needs, we'll we'll continue to get frustrated when they don't measure up. That thing you always run to, it always leaves you feeling empty, feeling worse. And that's the point. This will only result in additional unhealthy behaviors or more time and energy spent and, and invested into the unhealthy behavior that we already exhibit. You hear that? If it keeps growing, if it keeps going, it's just going to keep getting worse. Or eventually we come to that breaking point and we give up. You know, there's a a group of girls that I knew back in my youth ministry days um, who were best of friends. Best of friends. Um, And the reason they were best of friends is because they bonded over something. One thing. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But as life went on, that one thing kind of left, and so they had to redirect it onto somebody else, and they redirected it onto each other, tearing each other apart to the point where, man, they were always crying because they were always attacking one another. See, what they bonded over was hatred over somebody else. They all disliked this person. They all hated this person. They had bitterness about this person. And they bonded over that. And so when that person left, and that per- they can't hate that person, they're not there. But they still had this new method that they had all formed of bonding over hatred, and eventually they just hated each other. And it tore them apart. Even to this day, many of them don't talk to each other, and you actually see it, it's grown over into some of their marriages that they formed over time. They can't help themselves but, but bond over just picking on somebody else because it's just the habit that they've learned. And that's what happens when you can't, when you refuse, when you avoid being real, showing your heart, not just facts or opinions or, or what you think about it. No, showing people your struggles, your issues, Bonding over love, in regardless of what's going on or your, what you're dealing with. See, Satan's lie is that we can't risk exposure. Not for the chance of genuine intimacy, but we can't afford not to clear this toxic waste out of our lives. 
every day that we avoid intimacy, damage is being done. But God gives us a promise and an invitation that you can boldly go before his throne and, man, receive the grace in the time of need. That's straight out of the Bible. Hebrews, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace, God's throne, his kingdom, his supremacy, his authority. We can go to him, even though he's big G God. We can go with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is where it can all begin to change. God desires good relationships in your life. God desires good relationships between you and him, this intimacy thing. But you have to surrender to him. You have to stop taking things into your own hands, getting judgment or getting justice by your own means because that always leads to just a greater destruction. We were not created with the authority, with the power, with the ability to figure everything out. But we were created to be images of him, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Man, for the glory of God. So that we man, might show it to others. That we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, that's what Jesus is all about. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. Is walk in intimacy. Walk in genuine relationship. Where you can be real with him. You can tell him anything. The way I like to put it and the way David did it himself. He got mad at God. He called God out. God's okay with that. With you being so real that you even express your anger to the God. Because he loves you regardless. And he wants to walk with things, walk things through with you. Most often than not, you'll find out that you're the one in the wrong. I, we got to, me and a couple of the guys got to go out to eat with a, a gentleman today who, who really has nothing, he doesn't want to do really anything with the youth ministry. He's not like kids. You know, he was talking to us. He's like, I'll be the first to complain about your generation and the one that came before you. That's me. Um, but he's like, what I realized is there's a lot of things that I wish somebody would have told me. And the biggest one is realizing when there's an issue between me and another person, most likely it's going to be you that needs to change. Because you can't change anything about another person. The only thing you can change is you. What you say, how you approach it, what you do, how you react. And Jesus wants to help you to learn how to respond appropriately, to learn how to engage and to talk and to be with people and to just have friends, to have strong relationships in your life so that when you get to the point where you don't have as many friends, the, the few that you do have are strong, are solid, are reliable. You can be real with them. Or if all your friends move away, like in my case, in Stormy's case, you're equipped to make new ones, to be in community with other good people that will love you regardless. This is where it all can begin to change if you choose to walk with Jesus. I want to pray.
and then we'll wrap up and we can goof off and have some fun and eat some cookie cake. But just think about it. Where do you stand in your relationships right now, in, in your relationship with God, with others, with family? And maybe ask the question, not what needs to change about them, but God, what needs to change in me? How am I running away from true intimacy, from true, genuine relationship? Father God, search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you just prayed that with me, you prayed scripture. It's right on the screen. God's inviting you into this relationship with him and much of that's gonna take place in this book that he's put together for you, for us, the Bible, scripture. There's so many ways to pray just by using that. And this is a great one. Psalm 139. Search me, O God. That's the beginning of intimacy. God, search me. May I be fully known by you. And God, help me to fully know you.